The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. As I thought about 10 years, what we would preach on, I thought it would be fitting to do a, a sermon on the things that I have learned over the last 10 years. The number one thing is that the Word of God works. That's why we go verse by verse. So if you've got your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 5. Verses 21 to the end of the chapter, a whole chapter in two weeks. The world that Jesus is in in Mark 5 should be one that is familiar to us. It's a world marked by brokenness, a world living out, living in the, the consequences of sin. We find a, a, a father who is about to bury his daughter. That should never happen. It should never happen. It's a world where chronic pain and sickness can affect every part of a person's life. You see a life of isolation and desperation. Mark 5 is a world where faith is a war. And what is it that's going to win? Is it going to be your faith or is it going to be your doubt? It's a world where the question is asked and we have to come to an answer. Will you trust Jesus? This is a world that should be familiar to us just like the world that we live in. And this is the world that these two stories are found in. And this question of will you trust Jesus is the question behind these two stories. It is in this world of brokenness and pain and heartache that we see the power and the compassion of Jesus Christ. We saw last week in the beginning of Mark chapter 5, that Jesus has the power to change anyone. As he did what no one else could do, as he dealt with this man who was possessed by some 2,000 demons. Jesus has the power to change anyone. That was the theme of last week. But this week, we see that not only does he have the power to change anyone, but Jesus is willing to change anyone. He is our compassionate Savior. We find Jesus now back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's been on one side doing ministry, sailed to the other side, calmed a storm, got off the boat, met a, a demon-possessed man, um, freed him from those demons, sent them into the pigs. The pigs fell into the sea and drowned. And the people out of their fear told Jesus he needed to go. And so he got back in his boat with his disciples and a flotilla of other boats and sailed back across the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd 
that was following him before he left has not shrunk at all. Verse 21 in Mark 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. In this crowd is a man who comes and approaches Jesus. Verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she might be made well and live. And he went with him and the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. This man, Jairus, Mark tells us, is a ruler of the synagogue. This does not mean that he is the, the main preacher or the main teacher in the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue. We talked about this, uh, well, it, it could have been a long time ago now. Um, a ruler of the synagogue is a, is a keeper. It's a custodian. It's a, in, in our language, it's more of a deacon. Someone who looks after the affairs of the synagogue. They, they were the ones... Um, keeping the calendar and, and making sure things are, are happening, scheduling whichever teachers might be coming through and teaching. Most importantly, they were charged with looking after the scrolls that that synagogue may have. This is a man of some importance and some prominence within the Jewish religious establishment. Mark makes it clear he is a ruler of the synagogue. And here is this man at the feet of Jesus begging him to come and heal his daughter. This is radical, costly faith. In doing this, this man had much to lose. His reputation was on the line. His job was on the line. He is a ruler of the synagogue. And the Jewish establishment, the leadership of the Jewish religious establishment has already made their intentions clear. They have set themselves against Jesus and they are at this very moment planning and plotting his death. They are seeking to destroy him. And here is this man, Jairus, coming to Jesus, falling at his feet in faith, saying, if you will come, lay your hands on her, she will be healed. Radical, costly faith. But this is what faith does. Real faith moves us to believe that Christ is our only hope. Real, genuine, saving faith is not timid. It steps out in radical trust and in radical hope in the person and the work of Jesus. Real faith means we are willing to publicly identify with Jesus Christ no matter the consequences. 
This man had much to lose. This man had much to lose, but here he is at the feet of Jesus, imploring him, begging him, with a level of faith that says, if you will come and you lay your hands on her, she will be healed. And I love how Mark puts it here in just the classic Mark brevity. And he went with him. And Jesus went with him. And so does this crowd following along with him. Jesus had no plans to go to Jairus' house. He had no plans to heal his daughter. But here he was, interrupted by this man, a ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus simply goes with him. And this crowd follows along as well. And in this crowd, there is a specific woman. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. We learn some things very quickly about this specific woman in this crowd of people. We learn that she has suffered from internal bleeding and has had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years. There certainly probably is some significance here in Mark telling us the age of Jairus' daughter being 12 and this woman suffering from 12 years. For 12 years she has suffered this discharge of, of blood. What we have to understand is that this chronic condition that she has had would have affected every part of her life because according to Leviticus 15, she would be considered unclean. And being unclean, if you have a discharge of of blood or um, a discharge of of, um, infection, you're unclean. Being unclean then, she is not allowed to enter into a a synagogue for worship. She's not allowed to enter into relationships. People must keep their, their, their distance from her. Now, we don't have time today to talk about why God instituted that in the Levitical law. Um, but it was for the good of God's people. Um, medical advances certainly were not um, where they are today in those days. If you have questions as to why would God do that, then come and see me. I'd love to, to spend some time with you and help you work through those things. But that is this woman's life. 12 years of isolation, of rejection, of being considered an outcast, of being considered unclean. That's the first thing we learn about her. The second thing we learn is that she had suffered much under many physicians. She had been to doctor after doctor after doctor and suffered under each one of them. In doing so, she had spent all that she had. She was broke. The medical bills had wrecked her life and she was broke. And the harsh reality is she was no better, but she only grew worse. This is a a woman of desperation. But Mark tells us that she had heard about Jesus. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. I don't think we understand the scope 
of what this action was. The great act of courage this woman had. She was not allowed to be there. She was unclean. Yet here she is pressing her way through this great crowd of people because she had come to believe that Jesus could do what no other person was able to do. Mark tells us that she had suffered under many physicians for a reason so that we can understand that Jesus alone is able to do what others can't do. And she had come to believe this. Verse 28, for she had said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She had come to believe that this man has a power. This man has an ability. This man can do what no one else can do. He alone is different than all others. This is such an important picture of real faith in Jesus and an accurate representation of Christianity. Because this woman realized, and we must realize, that Jesus isn't just one more thing with something to offer. Jesus isn't just one more option in a long line of things to try out. He is not, and Christianity is not, just one more philosophy. He is not, and Christianity is not, just one more wisdom. Christianity is centered on the person and the work of Jesus. And true saving faith understands that he is different than all others. Real saving faith believes that Jesus is God. And as God, he is able to fully redeem and to restore. And that in him we find the solution to our greatest need, God's grace. So here's this woman pressing through this crowd on their way to Jairus' house to see his dying daughter, and she touches his garment, verse 29, and immediately the blood flow dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But Jesus isn't done with this woman, verse And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? That's some sarcasm there. What are you talking about, Jesus, who touched you? There's a thousand people pressing in on you. All sorts of people have touched you. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The whole truth of how she'd suffered this discharge for 12 years. How she'd sought help and couldn't find it. How she was broke and had nothing to offer. How she'd come in faith and touched him. And how she had felt in that moment something happened inside of her. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed 
of your disease. Now, Jesus didn't have to do this. He didn't have to stop and make this happen, but he stops and he speaks directly to this woman. And as I was reading this story, I was struck by the comparison between these two people. One is Jairus. He's a leader. He's a man of importance. He's a man of significance. He's a man with some power. And Jesus is willing to be interrupted by him and to go with him to his home. But just in case you think that was only because of who he was, there enters a woman, an unclean, a broke outcast, and Jesus stops. Because it isn't who these two are that are important. It's who Jesus is that is important. And he is an available savior regardless of who the world says that you are. Your social standing doesn't matter. Your marital history does not matter. The long list of the sins that have made you unclean do not matter. Jesus is just as available to you as he was to Billy Graham. Who you are is of no consequence. It's who Jesus is that matters. And he is our available, compassionate Savior. And so Jesus stops and speaks directly to her. And he does so that all can see and all can hear that this woman is now clean. And what does Jesus say? He tells her, daughter, it is your faith that has made you well. I think Jesus says that so that she understands that it wasn't something special about his clothes. That the power's not in his tunic. The power's not in his clothes. There are still to this day religions that believe that there are power, there is power in objects of religious importance. Jesus says, no, daughter, it, it was your faith. It's all about faith. Now, while this was going on, word comes to Jairus that his daughter has died. Now, imagine being him for a second. Come on, Jesus, come on, come on. You got to get to my house. And then stopped, who touched me? <laughs> What's going on? And then this woman comes and tells him all about it. And while he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? He, she's dead. There's nothing else that he can do. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to come, no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now there's great grief there. A 12-year-old girl has just died. And so there certainly is great grief among the family members. But, but it was also Jewish custom in that day to pay mourners to mourn. 
And so there is a great commotion and great wailing going on because this girl has died. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, why does Jesus say this? Because she's dead. So don't read this and think that they, did, they thought she was dead, but she wasn't dead. She's just asleep. No, what Jesus, why Jesus says she's sleeping is to make the point that her death was reversible. She is dead. But just like you awake from your sleep, she will wake to life again. Why are you mourning? Why are you making such a commotion? I'm here. I'm about to make all of this right. And what did they do? They laughed at him. They laughed at him. And here we see the two options. These are the two options that every person has when it comes to belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Either you respond in faith or you respond with foolishness. That's it. Either you will believe that Jesus is your only hope or you will reject him and you will mock him as foolishness. There is no in-between. There can't be an in-between because of the claims that Jesus has made. Because he claims to be God. So he can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be a good man. He either is who he says he is and we respond in faith or we discount him as a fool. That's the only options. These people on this day count him as a fool. They laugh at him. They mock at him. You see the juxtaposition here of the great wailing and weeping to now laughing. But what does Jesus do? He puts them all outside. Haven't you wanted to do that before? Just put them all outside. And he took the child's father and the mother and those who were with him and he went where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. There's no doubt about what's happened here. This girl has been radically brought back to life. Notice this isn't a a resurrection of life that resulted in two weeks of of, uh, weakness and rehabilitation. No, she is dead to she is up walking. When Jesus heals, he heals completely. And she is healed. She's brought back to life. And they are overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this. And they told him to give her something to eat. I love the compassionate heart of our Savior. Would y'all get her some food? So here are these two stories. And I thought of breaking them up and preaching one one week and one the other, but Mark doesn't do that. He, he lumps them together, one right in the middle of the other, for a purpose. Because both of these stories, as we look at them together, they serve as examples to us. They serve us as examples of faith. Great faith of the ruler of the synagogue who had much to lose coming and falling at the feet of Jesus. 
Great faith of a woman who, according to culture and tradition, is unclean, yet pushes her way through the crowd. These are examples of what faith does, how faith moves us to take radical chances, to make big stands, to be willing to come before people and publicly profess our faith in him. There is no private faith. There's only public faith. And it serves as a great example of our compassionate Savior who's willing to be interrupted and interrupted in his interruption. Two stories. One of sickness that makes us unclean and one of death. And the reality is that we are in our human natural state we are both of these things. Every one of us we suffer from sickness that makes us unclean. Our sin has done this. It has infected us and made us unclean. And because of that uncleanness, we are unable to come before a holy God. And that sickness has brought with it spiritual death for the wages of sin is death. You see, we can read these stories and we can think how sad for this man's daughter who's died at 12. And we can read the story of this woman of who's been in isolation and desperation for 12 years, the reality is, is that this is you and this is me. And what leaps off of this page is that our only hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can cure our sickness. He's the only one that can make us clean. And he did it by becoming the sickness, by becoming unclean, by taking on the sins of the world, by becoming the curse of sin in our place. He offers healing from our sickness. He offers cleansing from the sin that's made us unclean. He offers life to the spiritually dead because he conquered death and came back to life. And our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you today, forget about your social standing. Press through the crowd and fall before a compassionate Savior as your only hope. Because He is there waiting for you. Father, how good it is to have before us these two real life examples of faith. A faith that calls us to 
step out and take chances. A faith that pushes us beyond our comfort zones. A faith that is radical and a faith that is costly. How good it is to have before us a reminder that we serve a God who is available. And we have a compassionate Savior who's willing to sympathize in our weakness because he was tested just as we are. Yet he remained without sin so that our curse of sin could be taken away by him. Father, I pray that we would have the faith of these two. That we would be reminded each day that we have in you an available, interruptible, compassionate Savior who is our only hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.